speaking i'm open mike eagle and this is secret skin an interview podcast conducted by me and here's secret skin we're always on the search for a better interview this week we interview underground legend mers i want to call him potentially uh any other kind of legend and I didn't know what adjective to pick. So part of this interview is me asking him whether or not he's underground. He's he's had a, a legendary career that's last through a lot of different phases of rap music. He's done underground stuff with the biggest of independent labels. He's been signed to arguably the biggest major label of all. Um, he's thrown an enormous festival that saw him work alongside some of the biggest mainstream musicians. Um, so he's in a category all his own, which is one of the reasons I wanted to talk to him because um, I exist in weird spaces. And as I explain when I'm talking to him, there's not a lot of people I can look up to and say, hey, uh, there's a person who could give me some insight about how to exist in a bunch of spaces that don't necessarily uh, add up on paper in terms of what the logical steps would be. So a lot of this interview is me kind of just picking his brain. I try to ask him questions that'll help uh, him make me smarter. That was kind of the strategy here. And again, this uh, this interview was taped a little while back, maybe a year ago. We ended up talking about wrestling a little bit. Um, as I was listening back, I heard him say some things about um, WWE and Vince McMahon. And nothing too positive about him, but given the light of recent events, I imagine he may have said those things a different way. So I wanted to give that little preamble gosh wrestling news there's so much going on in the world which i guess is true all the time uh if you want to help out the podcast uh wherever you listen to it give it a thumbs up or 17 stars or uh a nice gushing review all that stuff really helps the robots love us i think there's robots at all of these different platforms that are constantly judging us Robot judgment. Side eyes from robots. Robots with rubber stamps that says pass fail. Robots putting their thumbs up and down like gladiator contests. They pit these podcasts against each other, you know. That's what these charts are. It's a fight to the death. Help us win the fight. Arm us with knives for the pleasure of the robots. Each like is a knife. Um, that stuff you could do for free i mean it costs a little bit of your time but uh if you want to support at an extra level you can join my patreon at patreon.com slash open mike eagle i do a secret podcast over there that's my secret club my secret podcast is called the hella personal podcast in that podcast i allow listeners to ask questions and i answer them and that's the show so they kind of direct the show they write the show they ask me stuff and i answer it and ladies and gentlemen, it's entertaining. Um, I'm going on tour. I'm going to be on tour with AJJ, the band, starting J June 29th. We're going to be hitting Phoenix, Albuquerque, Minneapolis, Chicago, um, a bunch of places. Check MikeEagle.net, and there's a tab on there that says shows, and you can see all the shows that are coming up. Because if one of them's by you, I'm going to... I'm gonna uh I'm gonna suggest you come out. I think it'll be a good time for you. And remember, uh if you see me at a show, you pull me to the side and you whisper the secret skin secret word to me, then I will show you the secret skin secret handshake. Okay? And forget that old word. That old word don't count no more. Give me that old word, I might I might pour some water on your head or something. <laughs> the new word, however. It's Pomplemousse. Put me to the side and whisper Pomplemousse. And I will teach you the secret word. 
And this is Secret Scan, and this is my conversation with MERS. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. I think the way that I've decided I really want to connect with you is like rather than doing the career retrospective thing, I want to get insight from you into how you process all the stuff that we got to process. I walked a pretty weird path into all of this music and peripheral entertainment stuff. And you're one of the few people who I can get insight from on how to manage all of this stuff, especially because you've been so successful as an independent artist. It's just so few that have been able to do all of that successfully. I'm just so curious in how you have to contextualize yourself because that's kind of that's part of the job that nobody really puts words to yeah we got to make stuff but we also have to be able to step outside of ourselves to see how we fit into a market or how we fit into what's going on in the creative landscape so i think i'm gonna be picking your brain from that direction but i do want to start with kind of a normal interview question which is your name i always see it as an acronym but just directly from you, I'm interested in what your name means. Yeah, it's an acronym from the beginning. It was um, making the universe recognize and submit. I always wanted to play the game Mercs, I think it's called. It was a coin-operated game in the arcade. It was like M-E-R-C-S. So I think that had something to do with it. I wrote graffiti, but it just all came to one moment. I just saw it, like, saw it clear. I can't, can't describe it, but I was about 15, 16. I've been through a bunch of rap names, and at that point, I was just telling people just to call me Nick. Just, I'm going to be Nick. Because <laughs> Keith Murray had just dropped, and I'm like, yeah, like I'll just be Nicholas Carter, bro. Like First I don't. names, that's where it's at. Yeah, and apparently there was some Backstreet Boy, or one of those guys became, was Nick Carter, so that would have been bad anyway. Would have been potentially confusing. <laughs> yeah, we look so similar. <laughs> one version of the acronym that I always heard was making underground raw shit. This long into your career, uh, I think a question that really interests me is whether or not you still consider yourself underground. Yeah. I recall, like, I don't know if it was Method Man or somebody, I don't know, someone was describing Red Man, and they're like, Red Man is still an underground artist. He's, been, he's gone gold multiple times. He did a song with Christina Aguilera, but he's still, he's always been underground. It's just, I guess, you know, it's an aesthetic, you know? I don't think it's uh, it's measured by sales. Because rap is an underground art form, you know? And I got co-opted by the mainstream, and then some people used the, the rising of rap to cross over. But EPMD will always be an underground rap group to me. They're not an independent rap group. And at this point, independent, cash money is independent, basically, you know what I mean? Right. Not indie like we are, but they're technically an independent record label. So indie doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything about, I think underground has more to do with the sound and feel of the music. Are you still using metaphors and big words? Do you have a lack of pop harmonies and catchy hooks? Like Redman, I couldn't, you know, he had a couple like, pick it up, pick it up, but that wasn't... Mm -hmm. But it's like, if you see a dollar on the ground, the fuck you going to do, pick it? Like, that's underground. It's a crunchy it's hook. It's still raw, yeah. It, there's a, yeah, there's an edge to it. There's, it's raw. Mm -hmm. You know, like, always, I'm going to knock at somebody right the fuck out. He didn't dress up nice. Red Man's not flashy. I think there's, like, one or two times he, like, put on a patent leather something or other in, in, a, in a diamond <laughs> chain. But he's Jersey. He's dirty. He's You know what I mean? Yeah. And I mean that with the utmost respect and reverence. I'm going to get to more of how you see the business of music a little later, but just kind of on that tip, what do you think the possibilities are for, like, let's say somebody came along today, 2022, you meet a young MC that's like 14 or 15 years old, and they, they're inspired to do that raw shit, to be a, a flag bearer of that underground aesthetic. What do you think the pathway is? If you're starting now, it's hard, man. I have a program called Ground Waves that operates in Northwest Arkansas and on Fort Collins, Colorado, currently, and I deal with a lot of young rappers, trying to help them get in the game. 
and the the path is really direct now. You know, you post it and your music is everywhere. When we started, there was the fight to get in magazines, the fight to get in stores. Now there's no stores. Now there's no magazines. Now radio doesn't really mean much. You can do it all yourself. So that's that's a huge burden for them starting out. You know, I had it harder, but I had it easier. My thing to them is business-wise, like making this a career-wise, it's about getting the people around you in your, your area to feel you. Mm, start local. You know, now you don't have to start local, but go where you're wanted. You know, like gotcha. we started local in the Bay and then we were, that's it. We weren't allowed to move anywhere else. So we went to Europe, we went to Japan, we went to Australia, we made ourselves known there. And, you know, wherever you're at, make sure that the people know who you are. If they don't like you, they know you. There's a lot of people that don't like me or claim that they like me now, but I stood outside of Maritime Hall in San Francisco yelling at motherfuckers. So everyone knew me, even in LA, everyone knew me. And, you know, even I was at the blow one time and one guy came up to me and he tried to embarrass me because I was out there selling tapes. He's like, yeah, you always say you'll give me my money back, so I want my money back. Because I, I told people all the time, like, buy a tape because you know you're going to see me at the Red Man show. You're going to see me at the Buster <laughs> Rhyme show. If you don't like it, I will give you your money back. And so this guy tried to embarrass me like, hey, man, I want my money back. Your tape was whack. And was out in front of Project Blood. I was like, all right, man. But like five years later, he came up to me. He's like, bro, I was just trying to be an asshole. And I'm really like proud of what you did, man. Like you really started from the bottom. And I was like, yeah. So that's what I tell people all the time. I do it now with my podcast or when I had a podcast or with my music, my Twitch. I grab my, you know, I was like, you're at a family function. I tell these kids, like, make sure all of your families follows your Spotify. Make sure all of your family, like everyone in the room has a phone. And since people now are all about numbers, if you only have three monthly listeners, people aren't going to do it. But if you have 10, maybe it'll work. And then if you do that to them, maybe you tell them, like, go to your job and because it costs nothing. Forever. To let people know. Yeah. And like, you know, let me get your phone. You give me a follow. You'll never know the difference on your phone if you follow me or not. Right. But it doesn't make any difference does, to your user I will. experience. Yeah, I will. <laughs> right, exactly. So let me get your phone. I was like, I'll go in a room full of my, like my grand, my cousin's there. Everybody following me. I just dropped the podcast. Make sure you download it. Give it five stars. And then I don't need nothing else from you. You don't got to listen to it. But then maybe once it's on your phone, you will. Yeah, I tell people who are waiters. I'm like, you're a waiter. Don't ask for a tip. When you drop off the food, just tell everybody at the table, look. Follow me on Spotify. Follow me on Instagram. I really appreciate Keep the $20. That's really interesting. You know, boom. I told my merch guy that. I was like, you're selling merch for me. You're an artist. Put a QR code down here and tell people to follow you because it costs them nothing. I used to have to convince people to give me money. <laughs> right. All you have to do is say, hey, yo, give me your phone real quick. Or here's my at. Like, just give me a follow, bro. Or give me a view. Upvote my stuff on YouTube. Whatever you have one direction to hit them in. Don't say, you know, don't try to do it all. But if it's your cousin and you guys are having beers... Bro, there's no reason everybody at that backyard carne asada party shouldn't be following you and have downloaded your music, rated your podcast. To me, that's what we used to do. Like, if we were standing outside and talking, if you would talk to me for three seconds, I'm going to tell you about my tape. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you a flyer because I'm, you know, like laser focused. And I think that's what I try to tell them. Laser focused and unashamed. I had a friend that was walking by Kanye West and he's like, I was this close. He stopped and talked to my friend next to me because they were friends and I didn't tell him about my music. I was kind of like, oh, I was ashamed, you know, and people say that like, oh, have you no shame? And you shouldn't. We use that as a, you shouldn't have any. Why are you ashamed of your art? And I was like, you didn't yay yay. Because if yay was you, <laughs> yay and you were yay, yay would he, I was like, <laughs> if you want to reach yay, you got to yay. You know what I'm saying? That man has no shame. And it's, it's sometimes it's a bad thing and sometimes it's a good thing, but it never, I don't think it affects him because he has no shame and people want you to have shame. And I don't get that. Having the shame, I can, I can kind of understand it in terms of like, you do want people to be able to read a room and figure out the best strategy. But like, if you believe in what you're doing, you should talk about it. Like yes. you shouldn't have any, any shame in what you put your heart and soul into. Yes. So yes. If, if, if there's any, if there's any openings or if it makes any sense to discuss your art, like you should do it. For sure. Like you're at a concert, you know? Right. Obviously people who are here like music. Yeah. So. <laughs> you know, like I, you know, I was at the rap sheet convention standing on a table Looking at E40, be legit. Eminem just won the battle. And I was, I was like, I don't fuck that battle. I'll battle anybody in this motherfucker for $200. That's all the money I got. All y'all niggas whack. Buy my tape. Standing on a table in the Roosevelt lobby of the Hotel Roosevelt. Like, no shame. And I think a lot of that, I always give credit to like, it's gangbanging. You know what I'm saying? Like, I got homeboy. I grew up with people that would die for a color. 
or a street or a hand signal. I'm not about to be out here ready to die for this music that I claim I love. So I, I've always taken that mentality and those are the people who win. I was never the best, still not. But if you're waiting to be polished, don't wait. That's why I tell kids, don't wait. My stuff, I always refer, especially when I'm mentoring kids, I was like, you can go to Spotify here for real from 1997. That's just garbage, bro. Hot trash. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? To me, but I put that up there for you because my catalog wasn't on Spotify and I chose to put it out there. I was like, I was debating. I kept it off for years. I was like, ah. But I was like, no, I people need to see that. Kids need to see that. Because, and that's somebody's shit. Like, I still get people like, nah, for the record is my shit. Jerry Maguire song, you tripping, bro. But I feel so embarrassed by that. I think that that's, you know, that's along everything else I said for these kids, like the routes have changed, the platform has changed, the strategies changed, but having no shame. And, but, you know, of course, reading the room, having a sense of decorum. You know, it's funny as you as you described the part of that answer that had to do with making sure your friends and family and everybody was aware and hip to you. I felt myself like having some resistance to that. And I was thinking about why while you was talking. And it made me think about by the time. I started doing my thing really in L.A. It's like 2008, 9, 2010. And like all of the shows are pay to play. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So the local promoters in that sense are kind of like eating off people, letting their friends and family know that they have a show and that they have to sell a certain amount of tickets to get there. And I saw people do that for years and never develop that next step. Like they always have friends and family dwindling actually because they're not gonna come to every show you know what i'm saying uh your co-workers they're gonna come to every show but then they they weren't able to take that next step and have like actual fans and as you were saying that i was curious if if what you thought about that line you know trying to balance that yeah like that that wasn't my era pay to play shows well they were they were called showcases back then and we weren't even good enough for those you know what i mean because those were for people trying to get signed because people saw Living Legends or whoever else in that era open up for major acts and then go on to be the headliner. So they thought that was the way. And then the promoter said, hey, I'll find a way to capitalize off of a route that we make. Because these kids think if they open for these acts, they're going to end up like Living Legends or Hieroglyphic. 100%. That's what we thought. <laughs> and it was like, I, I wasn't aware of that until, because they would never, but the promoters were, I think, smart enough. Because when I found, I have rarely been aware of people doing pay to play and when i am i try to discourage it or just pass on the show or, the, or work with another promoter but then i heard that some people actually make money the promoter kicks them back so i was like cool when i was opening for buster i wasn't getting shit they didn't pay us they gave us an opportunity even we did a nationwide tour at hyro and they said if you get there you can rap that mm -hmm. no per diem nothing right so that's how i did my first tour same just so, like that so i was like yeah. okay well that I was like, oh, what's the pay to play is not that bad because y'all, you sell all these tickets and he's kicking <laughs> you, you get back. A little money. He's giving yeah, 50%. Yeah. But I think, you know, you have to think about what you're performing. Are you doing the same set every month when you're mm. opening up? And how much should you do that? Like doing the same thing and expecting different res results is insanity. Right. And I, I always say that about rappers. Like people call musicians are crazy. I was like, well, you imagine going on stage for 10 years of your life and doing the same songs. But at least we're changing cities. You're in the same city opening for different artists at the same venue doing the same songs. Maybe you shorten your set. Maybe you do two songs and you always do this one song, but then you do two new songs every month. So your family's encouraged to come. Like You don't play it for them and you say, hey, I'm going to do two new songs this time. Oh, word. Okay, we'll come out because I haven't heard these. You're not going to play it for me? Nah, nah, I'm not going to play it for you. Till you, you know, and then you get you. How can you build up hype? But you're just plugging and playing like we were making it up as we go so we were thinking on our feet i think a lot of people were looking at us and it started tripping me out when people were like oh i'm just trying to get get like you and i'm like man i was trying to be ice cube and i failed you know i was trying to be jay-z and i fucked up and i'm still i'm still going bro and then people were like nah i want to do you and that's where you got to be thinking on your feet you can't just follow someone else's process because their process isn't, you know, there's no one with a story like Living Legends before Living Legends. There's no one like a story with like too short, like if you're going to wave this banner, now if you're going to be Big Sean or Pusha T or whatever, 
there's a formula to that. But for this shit, is is really choose your own adventure. So you could take some of what I did, and if that's not working, then add something. But you have to be thinking. You have to be creative. And then people get ego about like, I ain't paying to play. I don't think that's the way either. You know, we did get to a point where like, we're not opening for free anymore. Fuck that. We're going to throw our own show. But you kind of got, if that's the, what's going on, you kind of got to pay to play. We had to play for no money. The factor there, the variable is y'all are probably seeing that y'all are having fans that are coming to see you all. Yeah. So then it business-wise, it makes sense. For you to say, hey, give me some of this money that we're bringing in or we're going to just make the money ourselves. What I saw and what always kind of gave me pause on the friends and family thing was seeing people just think that was enough. You know what I'm saying? Like like to come off stage sweating, feeling like they accomplished something doing that same set for the same friends and family and coworkers, and not really like being able to take that next step of having fans and making a career happen. That always seemed to be the cautionary part for me is like, oh, that's cool. But don't just keep doing that. But I think people get off on that. But even the people I know that get off of that, they want a bigger crowd. I don't know. Like, I'm not one of those people. I don't like performing. I don't like being the center of attention. So that never did it for me. It was all about numbers and X's and O's for me and making moves. But I have friends that love to rap. Brother Ali loves to rap. Most of the people, you know, living legends, like, we would get ready to do a show and the promoter would be like, you got 45 minutes. There's no way we're all going to do our solo song tonight. I'd be the first one to say, take my song out. <laughs> Wow, yeah, that's not usual. You know, this is this is usually an ego-driven art, so that's that's unusual to hear. So I think like you get mid-ego people, what the kids say now, mids. Like if you have a mid-ego saying, "Hey, I'm opening up for Jizza," and then bringing your your coworkers and everybody out, that's it for you. You got off on that, and you're just trying to get that high again. It's a cheap high, you know. It's like a recycled, like a high. Like okay, cool, I can't wait, you know. And that becomes that's your thing. That makes you happy. You know, you're not in it for the right reasons. You're not driven. So I, th I think that maybe that, and maybe they'll complain like they don't go anywhere, but really that's all you really want. Because if you wanted more, you would do more. You really like being able to be at the water cooler like, hey, guess what? You know, Jizzle was last month. Guess who's opening for Buster? <laughs> right. Yeah, boy. You know I'm about to do whatever song it is. That's so funny. Y'all coming? And then it kind of, for them, it kind of be, you know, it kind of comes, becomes like, all right, yeah, you go to your kids' Little League game. And then, cool. You haven't been practicing. You're not going to no ball camp. You know, like- you're happy with this cycle because because most of most of the rappers I know are are failed athletes looking at looking for that high anyway. They want somebody to pay attention to them. They want to be seen. Most rappers used to be hoopers and whatever, and they didn't make it. So now, but at least they're still trying to get to the league in some way. They're trying. But uh, some people like to play. Uh, what's that thing called? Uh, like pickup ball. You know, pickup games and opening that for a local thing is good for the promoter. It's good for their ego. Then they go back to working at FedEx and, you know what I'm saying, and, it, and, and next to, oh man, you know, and now you can post pictures of it. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. You can post pictures of yourself performing for somebody else's crowd. <laughs> yeah. It looks great. It does. It looks awesome. It feels great. It looks awesome. And yeah. if that's all you want, because I mean like, shit, you know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not shitting on somebody working at FedEx. That's benefits and them, month, them mm -hmm. rates is good. Stability. Stability and is something you end up missing in this life. You know what I'm saying? Man, you got that the stable paycheck. And you get yeah. to get the high of being on stage. Mm -hmm. And who knows, you might cross paths with just and he nod at you. That's a feather in your cap. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And you didn't have to risk it all. So, I mean, I think if those people were honest with themselves, maybe that's all they wanted. But someone like you was like, this ain't it, Jack. Like, <laughs> Right. So I think people are pretty familiar with the story of the legends of, you know, you, Eli and Scarab in L.A. as Three Melancholy Gypsies, Mystic Journeyman in the Bay. Like if you had to say it in a quick way, what is the story of the living legends? How would you sum it up to somebody who wasn't aware of it? Oh, man. Whew. Local mu musicians that backpack their way into independent rap fame. Or, in, in, or to backpack their way into being almost famous. That's dope. According to Wikipedia, it's got you listed as formerly a member of the Legends. Yeah, man. Is that accurate? Nah, I, you know, I uh, I learned from Damon Dash, man. You let people say what they want to say. Mm. I'm always going to be a member of Living Legends. That's what I figured. They can't kick me out. Did they try to? No. Okay. I am inactive, you know what I mean? But I'm always a member I have, like, once again, like, I've been falling back a lot on this lately, and maybe in a couple years I'll be over it, but I'm from gang culture. Like, people always like, like that's your crew. Motherfucker, it's not my hood. Like, I got a tattoo that says Cloverdale. Like, you want to know where I'm from? Like, that's where I'm from. I ain't never said I'm not from Midtown, I'm not from, not from the, my block, but this is a fucking rap crew, bro. Calm down. 
But I have that same mentality. Like, I'm in. I put in enough work. I built this shit with my brothers. And yeah, I'm still friends with everybody. But am I rapping on the new album? Probably not. Am I going to show up at the next show? Probably not. And I have a song about it on the deluxe album that's about to drop. We are in this thing so deep together. But as far as creatively, like, I don't, I'm not in the place to be there right now. But if you want to post that I'm formerly a member, if you get in my comments, I had to check a couple people, like, you know what I mean? Like, what is it? What business is it of you? Or, you know, like, I was on Def Jux and that's the label. Like, oh, you hop from crew to crew to crew. It's like, yeah, I have friends. I made records with Rhyme Sayers. I made money with Def Jux. And Def Jux was a label, crew, whatever. But everywhere I went, I've always said living legends. You know what I mean? And I think that gets overlooked. Or people think that I'm the problem. I see that a lot with Ninth Wonder. Like, he takes a lot of the brunt of the dissolution of living. It was funny because we were working together. And uh, I was very, we were both very familiar with what we were going through. But the most successful person tends to be the root of all the problems. And that's not necessarily the case. But I, you know, I definitely, I'm, I am part of whatever problem has had a living legend. I'm an equal part of all the problems and all the success. I'm not putting it off on any, but yes, I'm, I'm always and forever a part of living. And I mean, you know, and my thing is too, is like, for the most part, there's not going to be anything you know, if there was a reason like someone was hurting a child and I had to disassociate myself from living legends because, you know, but I'm pretty much, I know my brother. I'm not with them all the time, so I'm not aware of all their actions. And I was gone for stints in between. But unless there's something serious like that where there's a legal action and criminal allegations or something, but it would take something like that for me to disassociate myself from my brother. With that sort of distance that you have right now and, and really focusing on yourself as a creator, what do you think about having that sort of community versus not having it? Is there anything you feel like would be a benefit of having that same interconnectedness in this phase of your career? As an artist, yes. I think that interconnectedness would help. But as a father and a husband, no. I compromise and sacrifice all day in this house. I don't want to be in a room where I have to sacrifice my career. I'm at a stage where I need to sit down at this desk and say whatever the fuck I want, however the fuck I want, when the fuck I want, because I can't do that the majority of the day. I got right, you know, right now we both got, we got to pick up our kids from school at a certain time. I have to compromise everything in my day to make sure that that young person is picked up on time and feels safe and attended to. Then I got to make sure their homework is done. Make sure who they're talking to on screen time, what they're playing. You know, I'm sacrificing and compromising all day. And I used to be, like I said, I would be the, I'm super compromising. Living Legends like, okay, we can only do six solo songs. Come on. And I wouldn't be in the corner mad about it. You know me, if you ever seen a Living Legends song, I'm the one that's jumping out of my skin the whole time because I love my brothers. And that's why when people accuse me of not being down, I'm like, have you ever seen a show? Have you ever seen me like Put my head to the speaker to hear CMA do windows and like jump with Sunspot the whole time. I love it. And right now I need an individual lane because not much of my life is about me individually. And this is the last sliver I have for myself. That's so real. That's so real because now as a human, you have these different roles that demand a certain amount of presence. That like your creative time, you're not able to split that a bunch of ways like you may have had the flexibility to do before. I hop in with Slug. I do this. And what's great about me is when I did Merce Day with Mayday, I came in and I knew, I said, who is the alpha? Who is the leader? Who runs shit? And I said, cool. And it was like, Burns. I said, cool, Burns. I'm going to let you know this. Whatever you say goes. However, I'm going to voice myself, but if you voice my opinion, but you have the final cut. And that's why I think I can collaborate. And I've been able to pull off with so many collaborations because I don't go in I can compromise because I know that I'm so prolific on my own. I have 16 Merce albums. As soon as I leave, finish the Merce Day album, I'm going to go do my own album and I can do whatever I want on that album. But now I, those outlets are not there for me. So my collaborations have gotten fewer and I've, me, my releases have gotten fewer. Like I'm not as prolific as I used to be, but I don't have time to collaborate because I don't have the space to do it before. But yeah, I was always comfortable with saying, hey, okay. All right, Ninth Wonder, you know, Ninth Wonder picks every single beat on the album. I never tell him what I'm rapping to or what I'm not rapping to. He has the final say of which takes we're using. Like, I don't say anything. All I want to be able to do is write what I want. 
when I'm and let and he and he produces it. Then he produces from front to back. This is the beat you're gonna rap to. No, we're not gonna do that topic. Rap about something else. On this, you're gonna rap about this. On this, you're gonna rap with this person. And that's how I have the animal with Fonte. That's how I have barbershop with Pooh. I didn't try to get them on a song. That's how I have a song called No Shots with Mac Miller out there floating somewhere around because he felt like this is where I belonged on in the music, and I like that. And then I can come over and do Captain California exactly my way or have a nice life or, you know, I have all these different outlets. I think that's important. That's really insightful for me to hear because, like I said before, this is typically a very ego driven creative endeavor. It's so insightful to hear how you have the self-awareness to know when to push that button or when to turn the ego down and let somebody else lead. I mean, I, I just to me, that's like as a as a person, that's just really kind of important to hear because that's that's not a line I always know where to draw. You know what I'm saying? In terms of like my creative will and the creative will of somebody that I'm partnering with, you know, so earlier we touched on how you've been able to partner with different MCs and crews all over the country. And I would assume the world too, but you know, I would definitely want to shout rhyme sayer, shout Def Jux, shout out working with knife. And that seems to be really important in terms of making sure that you weren't seen as like strictly a LA underground dude. And you're able to be seen as an entity to fans of underground rap all over the landscape. And one thing I'm curious about is like, I mean, you know, you did that over the span of a few years, like making those relationships and building those projects and, and getting that work out. Did it feel like you were the only person in, in, in the L.A. underground trying to do that? Like, did you see anybody else also trying to build those relationships? Like from the outside looking in, it looks like it's just you, which is like baffling to me that nobody else would even think to or try to do that. LA is a metropolis. So people really you have that ego about you like I'm from L.A. Like why I want to collaborate with somebody from Spokane. Fuck out of here. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> And I was always like, man, what are they doing over there? Like, one of my, I think a second of good music, I end on a note where I'm just like, I want to walk the earth like Kane and Kung Fu. Jules Winfield, Sam Jackson and Pulp Fiction says that. Like, I'm going to walk the earth like Kane and Kung Fu and get in adventures. When I saw that as a kid, my life changed that night. I was like, this is what I want to do, man. Like, I just want to walk the earth and have adventures. You know, Ye is saying it now, but my goal when I was young, my mom used to tell me I was crazy. Like, I just want to live in different hotels and different cities. Like, I don't want to have anything. And I was just like, I want to go like, okay, cool. Like, I'm living in the summer in Chicago for the summer, doing a record with Galapagos and my homies from high school, Anacron and himself. And we're just, you know, himself is like a encyclopedia for old people. But he's like a wealth of information. Like, he's walking me down in State Street and like, these buildings are built like this. And when the wind comes down here and blah, blah, blah. And then this is old style. This is what they drink, blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm just learning and I'm loving every minute of it. I'm on the L and I'm on the... And this is what I liked. And that just came along. Okay, I got to rap and make an album while I'm here because it's something to do. And it's what you do. Yeah, it's what I do. So I'm just getting an adventure. So that always... I guess being a new kid, like I moved around a lot as a kid. So... Even to right now, like where I live in Inglewood, this is the longest I've lived in one house in my life. I've never lived anywhere in one address longer than four years. And I'm 43 years old. So that kind of, and then, you know, we're kids. We, you know, Scarab and Eli, like Melancholy Gypsies is not an accident. That's a lifestyle. And I, I was really about that. I don't know other people, you know, they love LA and they don't, but I didn't feel that way about LA until I left it. And I think that some people need that. Some people don't. Some people know this is where they want to be. They love it. They're going to live and die here. And that's cool. But I didn't, the song, one of my you know, most popular songs is LA, but I wouldn't have made that song had I not been standing in a studio in North Carolina missing home. So yeah, that, that I need that. I don't know some other, yeah, they weren't doing that. A lot of ego, like, man, I ain't going to collaborate them fools from whatever. You know what I mean? And I, But I've seen all those dudes eat their words. And I had those dudes press me like, why don't you rap with us? And I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, you weren't happy to rap with me. <laughs> like, these people, that's another thing. When I show up to there, they didn't care that they were bigger in their city than I was in my city, or they didn't know how big I was in my city. The fact that I was at the Bobito show and they had heard of me before, like, Vast was like, yo, Melancholy Gypsies, yo, son. And I'm like, word? <laughs> you know what I mean? That's a pretty great Vast impression. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying. When I first heard Scarab and Eli, <laughs> yo, 
But yo, I'm like, yo, yeah. he didn't care. I think that's another thing too. Is you look cooler, I think, as a as a out of towner, as a, a local person welcoming me to out of towner. Local out of towner, local people are always welcoming out of towners. People from the same city don't, and I don't know if LA is that welcoming. I don't know what it is about why they did. It's not. And I was like, I was like, man. And I know people in my crew are, would hate on him. Like, oh man, why are you over there messing with them? Whatever, bro. You be just with everybody. And I'd be like, yeah, man, because everybody knows something. Like the Kane and Kung Fu thing, like you're a samurai. There's different styles of swordsmanship all around. You can't sharpen your sword amongst the same people. Even Living Legends, we're all from all over California. And that's what got me going at first. But that feeling didn't stop for me there. We go to Tucson and I meet people. I'm like, yo, what do y'all do out here? Word, there's a fresh bake, bake. They're breaking bread in the morning. I'll be up at seven. Come get me. It's two in the morning right now. Take me to that um, breakfast spot. Like I'm always wherever we are. And what I do is music. So it just translates to that. But even I was driving across the country now and took my homeboy with me. I'm like, we got to stop here. We got to stop in Tacoma. And yo, there's this vegan place and blah, blah, blah. And oh, Fish House in Tacoma. You know, it's like they sell final calls and uh, Isaiah Thomas is, used to eat there. And like, you know, not the Isaiah, Isaiah Thomas from our era, you know, our OG Isaiah Thomas. So I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Like, this is the this is the fish house. I don't eat fish, but I'm going there because it's where black people go into Tacoma. I didn't even know there's black people. In- I didn't either. <laughs> yeah. So, I'm, but it's a huge black population. Like, the black people in Seattle are based like, in Tacoma. And it's like, you know, I'm like, okay, like, this is how y'all get down. And I'm really. Cool, there's a to- clothing line here. Cool, I'm gonna go there and support. Like, it's just, I try to make friends wherever I go, and rapping is what I do. You said it best. So, it's partly strategic, because, like you said, the X's and O's have always been important yes. to you, too, but it's also partly just who you are as a person and that translating as a career. Yeah, and E40 has a line. He's doing a song, A Ball and MJG, and he's like, This ain't one of them songs I'm doing it with Dude and them to get their region. We've been seasoned, you know what I mean? But still, yeah, it definitely is a conscious part. Like, okay, we and that's why I like slug the same way. Like, okay, if we get with y'all, then that spreads the music because we didn't have distribution. <laughs> and that's why I tell, another thing I tell young people too is like, there seems to be a lack of crews because everybody's recording in their room. You don't have to pitch in with a bunch of people to get studio time anymore. There's not a lot of rap groups anymore. But when Living Legends would descend upon our sound, like I'm a fake fight somebody. This guy's gonna sleep with your sister. This guy's gonna sleep with your cousin. <laughs> and we're gonna leave our tapes everywhere. This dude's gonna smoke some weed with you. Somebody else is gonna do something else with you. Like, and we're all gonna descend. When we leave your city, we have put our tendrils out everywhere. And I was like, that's so yeah, there's like, it's not even like now, like ASAP Rocky deciding to collaborate with Schoolboy Q to get their regions. You know what I mean? Like, I just needed. Distribute, yeah, fuck yeah, I want to hang out with Slug from Minneapolis and try to get my tapes in the stores he knows and have him take me to, fuck yeah, it's helping me. And it was strategic, but at the same time, he's like, oh, I think Christina Ricci is so hot. And I'm like, me too. <laughs> oh, that's weird. Let's do a song. Let's do an album and dedicate to her. Like, once you open up yourself to being, like, I, that's the thing is like, I never stop being human. Merce is not an alter ego. It's who I am. It's just who I became. And a lot of people, their rap is an alter ego. It's a brand. And so they got to be careful what they do with their brand and how they do with their brand. And sometimes they're too careful. But for me, I'm just open to the human experience, bro. If you have something to share with me and I have something to share with you and it turns into an album, great. But yeah, X's and O's sometimes doesn't work. Like for me, Felt 3 was X's and O's. Yo, Sean, what if we get Aesop Rock to produce this run? Woo! But at the same time, our homeboy had just moved from New York to San Francisco. He didn't know anybody and was lonely. And we're like, we just want to hang out with Ian. So it wasn't all X's and O's. But yeah, in my mind, I'm like, whoo, mother. Because we didn't tell anybody. No one knew we were making Felt 3. Like I was on Warner Brothers at the time. I just kind of got a loophole and getting my way out of there. And motherfuckers didn't expect. I was like, oh man, when people hear this. And it didn't, it didn't add up. The X's and O's didn't add up. But I'll never forget the time we spent eating donuts and hanging out and, you know, just being with my homeboy and his cats and, and hanging out with Jeremy Fish and walking around San Francisco and getting vegan burgers. Like, it was a time. And so if it was all X's and O's, I'd be unfulfilled. You mentioned having been on a major label, you were on Warner. What led you to the opportunity of working with a major label? The, the understanding of you can be underground and be a gold platinum record, like the example Wu-Tang Clan set, Mob Deep set, uh, Red Man set. 
where it doesn't mean you have to sell out. You know, even in good music, I wrote like, my goal is to go 13 times platinum. Like I've always tried to be Ice Cube. And if I don't sign to a major label, who's going to be the Q-tip for these kids? Who's going to be, if all the Q-tips and all the, the underground people and the, and the conscious people are withholding their music, what are we doing? I'm blessed. I own most of my catalog. I'm going into a record deal where I own seven of my masters already. I own 316. Me and Knife own the masters. Why wouldn't I? What am I really giving up? And then another thing is too, is like I saw the bottleneck or the glass ceiling, or not glass ceiling, the foot, the boot on the neck that a lot of OGs in the underground scene put on the youngsters. If I don't move up, and one of my idols, I won't say idols, but people I look up to is Will I Am. And he moved up here so I could be here. Because growing up all the time, niggas used to say, hey, cuz, hey, blood, you look like Will 1X. I'm like, who the fuck is that? <laughs> oh, a dark-skinned weird nigga from the neighborhood. Like, yeah, that, that's mm -hmm. me. And he took it here. So if I don't get out the way, then you can't come and be the next Merce. If I'm going to be Merce my whole life. And then the final thing was, I was sitting in my car thinking, yeah, what if Ice Cube said no to a label because he wanted to own his masters. I probably would have never would have heard him. I was 11, 10. I needed that. And then how European is that to think that you own art? Like they own the masters? Like who owns the fucking masters this scenario? I'll sing that shit right now. You can't <laughs> own music. That's some silly ass European shit, bro. Fuck you mean you own that song? I'll sing that motherfucker right now. You won't do a damn thing. You can't silence me. You can't mute me. You can't take me down from the internet, motherfucker. Music lives here. And so when I said, like, this is what we're fighting against, but this is what we're fighting for. The independent scene is fighting for ownership against the people who are fighting for ownership. I was like, that's so fucking stupid. It's music, man. Let me get up here and do my thing and see what it's like. I'm, I always say it's like, life is like Disneyland. I adopted a kid. I had a kid. I got married. All because this is shit that you only, I don't know how long I'm going to be in this vehicle, this vessel, and I don't know if I get to do this again. So I want to I ride every fucking ride. Bro, I'm going to ride every ride at least once. I had a DJ that told me, and I made him eat chitlins because he said this, <laughs> you don't like, you don't know if you like something until you try it three times. So yeah, I don't know what, I know what Q-Tips experiences at a major label was. I know what Busta's is. I know what, you know, Dub C and the Mad Circle went through. I know what Mac 10 went through. I know what, I hear a lot of stories and I read a lot about stuff, but that's not, they're not Merce. They're not Nick Carter. They don't, and I've met some great people. Everybody at the record label, for the most part, 99% of those people were amazing. People who were lucky to have a job, felt lucky to have a job doing music, and they were so kind and so nice and had so many stories. And I still talk to some of them today. You know, the president of the label was um, Tom Wally, who now owns Loma Vista Records with his son, Ryan Wally, who signed me. And they're some of the kindest, nicest, most genuine people that kept their word at every, almost every turn, you know what I mean, where they could. And it was amazing to work with them. You know, now they like do Little Dragon and Denzel Curry and they just, you know, they're still creating great music in their own way. And every time I call them, I'm like, Ryan, I don't understand this. What's up, Merce? I'm like, yo, bro, like you're in a session with Little Dragon. You're taking my call to explain to me some copyright law. That's great, bro. Thank you. I, I gambled it and I was right. And it also, it took me off the pay dues stage. To be on pay dues, you had to be an independent artist. And I was like, cool, I'm not going to perform anymore. You disqualified yourself. Yeah, I'm like, yo, this, and you know, and then who is going to say something against me? Because I'm signed to a major label, but my money and my reputation, I'm putting all back into this platform to grow this local LA scene and this independent rap scene. So, like, that was the, my, my mentality of that. I want to touch on pay dues in a sec, but before we leave the major label situation, I'm curious if there's anything that because that was a different type of experience than you had been having. What was something you learned doing that that you wouldn't have learned otherwise? Legitimately, I could fill a book. But what I tell people now is, and what like I told Noah James and other people I see, 60 East, we've had these conversations. Everything that I put into pay dues, I took out of myself. You're not an unlimited reservoir. So everything I did to make the platform bigger and make the scene bigger, and if mother, you know, motherfuckers can give me my credit or not, I know I'm not the sole reason, but I'm definitely a part of why this, especially the West Coast scene, but independent hip hop as a whole, 
But when I went into there, I was one of the top selling independent rap artists. And when I came out of there, I wasn't because I put everything I had into growing myself into growing everyone. It was a sacrifice I didn't make consciously. So I always just make people aware of that. And that's funny because I say that on Can It Be? Like you try to fill everyone's glass and I didn't realize that I was, should have been listening to myself. I thought I was talking about relationships, but your relationship with your art is the same. You can't throw the festival, put yourself on the festival and claim that you're doing the best for yourself as an artist. If you're your own manager and your manager was throwing a festival and managing you, you'd be pretty pissed at him because he wasn't giving you enough attention. But independent artists, you're your own manager, you're your own writer, sometimes your own producer, your own marketing firm, and then you're going to throw a festival on top of that? And it's like, come on, bro. And that's why I always tell young rappers too, is like, don't have any kids, bro. Because that's going to make it a lot more challenging because that's something you can't deny. You can't just say, okay, I'm not going to throw that festival anymore. That's it. You got to throw that festival every day for the rest of your life, bro. And you're going to have to find time to be creative. And a lot of people do it, but it's less challenging if you wait. And I and I waited and that's a whole nother bag of worms. That There's nothing's perfect. You know, the Harry Potter theory, like all magic has a price. Hmm. And the price for the magic that was paid dues was my career. There's no doubt in my mind that I could be further along and more famous and more of a rising star had I not done that. And I've had my friends like combat me and they're like, oh, well, and that, you know, people hate on me all the time. Even my friends behind my back, they say, well, if Mer Merce has more followers because he just threw pay dues. And I'm like, okay, it is what it is. You know, you can't win. But I, I feel like I would have definitely been farther along as a solo artist had I not done the festival. As we get close to wrapping up, you know, I, I want to get into some of what you do outside of music just to keep your cup filled. You know what I'm saying? I've read that you're into comics. You still into comics? When I can, yeah. I still buy them. I got a, you just, just got a, stack. Got a stack right here. Whole long <laughs> box, bro. Are you still into wrestling? Yeah, I try. Do you see parallels between wrestling and the business of being a rapper? Oh, man. I do. I mean, because I don't take this shit seriously. Like, you know what I mean? I saw as I got into it that these motherfuckers are just talking. Um, I had the privilege to be born in Mid-City and have Crane's records, which became Martin's records, which Walker Martin took over, and every rapper in the industry would come through there. And he would tell me who was full of shit, and he's like, oh, your boy <laughs> such and such, bro, they came out here, they were scared of the motherfucker, he was shaking like a leaf. Because, you know, it's, it's on Pico, so there's Crips coming in and out of there, all kind of all kind of madness. And he said, oh, man, when they saw Blob such and such, they just tucked their chains and they did this, and I was like, man, that nigga said he slapped the shit out of everybody. You know, <laughs> you know, but I'm 14, 15, or you know, seeing them or seeing them be upstairs in the back, scared. You know what I mean? You know, as you know, and I'm not gonna say any of their names, but like Con Method Man came into the record store, dapped everybody up. Yo, what's up, right. Yo, Meth, what's your name? Yo, yo, you know what I mean? And I see him do that to this day. You know what I mean? When he walks into a room, and that's the people I was influenced by. But it also showed me that a lot of these dudes are wrestling. So how can I sell myself? And as much as I've grown to disagree and dislike Vince McMahon, he's brilliant. And, you know, watching, reading, you know, I read all the WWE um, autobiographies. The first one was like The Rock, Stone Cold, Shawn Michaels. I wrote Mick Foley. Yeah, Mick Foley. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, okay, they all say it's, you take a part of yourself and turn it up to 10. Merch, like, you know, I learned that merch was a thing kind of from Slug and Mystic Journeyman, like having t-shirts and a merch table. We learned that from, I learned that from Slug. But then once we started doing it, I was like, oh, this is just Vince. He's pumping out a t-shirt every every two months and you wear it on stage. And then, you know, you wear it when you, you know, I'm watching Raw, like, is Stone Cold going to wear a new two-shirt? Then I'm going to WWF Shop Zone ordering that shirt. You know what I mean? <laughs> watching ECW, like, okay, where's the P.O. box I got to send this to so, I, so Paul Heyman can send me a Taz shirt? You know, like, so I'm like, okay, this is what I have to do. So yeah, so much game. And then their promos they cut because they're just freestyling a lot. The best people, especially in the era of Stone Cold. Um, you know, he was improv and reading that, like that red light come on, he just go. And that's something, you know, we definitely developed out of the good life and the blow here was, you know, being sharp from the mind. How can you use this quick wit to sell? What can I say on stage? Where can I say outside of the show? You know what I mean? It's all carny festival roots or, you know, not festival, but you know. So I think, yeah, wrestling has had so much an impact. Selling is not hard for me, but I feel like a lot of part of when I perform with people, even living legends, I you'll understand this. I feel like a lot of the guys don't sell to other guys. Mm, I know exactly. And what I'm you selling. Mean, but that's that ego. Yeah, shit. I'm selling yeah. everybody. You know what I mean? 
we got to sell. We got to go over. You know what I mean? Cheap pops. Right. You know what I mean? Like, right. yo, is Milwaukee in the house? Like, you got to know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And that's another reason I go because I go out like I do because when I know I'm going to be back in Tucson next year. And if I drop that bar about that bread spot, everybody in this, I'm going to get a pop. But that's studying wrestling. Like, okay, fuck the New York Islanders. Heat. You know what I mean? Like, you. so yeah, damn, man, wrestling is a science. Reading the books, kayfabe, like popping, selling, putting people over, jobbers. Like, you know what I mean? Like when you're an opener, you're a jobber. You know, like yep. they driving cars from city to city, you know, stay in different hotels. Like they get what we do and, what you know, it's very synergistic. So, yeah. And I still watch it for inspiration. You know, I'm more of an AEW dude. I didn't get in. Same here. Same so here. So I, I can't. I literally just don't watch WWE anymore. But I try not to speak openly out against them because I really am happy for E and Kofi and Xavier. They were so kind to me. And Mega Ran. And I also haven't been embraced. Like, you know, I tweet about it, blah, blah. blah and then they put Mega Ran on a compilation. I get my feelings hurt, but I'm happy for Mega Ran. And I'm like, <laughs> ah. Like, wrestling don't embrace me. But like, um, you know, Max Caster. Yeah, Platinum Max. Yeah, Shout out to Platinum he's Max. He's dope, man. And he, you know, he shows some love. Oh God! Uh, I got Rake. I just met a guy that's um, down with Darby Allen. Like you know, there's you meet all kind of rap fans all over the place. You see, uh, you see JPEG Mafia be on yeah, there with, Peggy, with uh, Darby Allen. Yeah. So yeah. like, I love that man. I love, I love what Rand's doing. You know, I'm, 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 a, I'm going off on time. I'm a Jaguars fan, so like the Khan family, like uh, okay. it just made sense for me to be AEW. I agree with their ethos. And back before COVID, I was in Jacksonville once a year at least to see a Jaguars game, and then I was like, yo, I could see wrestling. Stay a couple more. I can go Wednesday night and then stay for the game on Sunday. And I got homie, you know, and I did an album with a group out of Jacksonville. So I got homies and family now in, in Jacksonville. And I got literal family. So yeah, man, wrestling is a huge part of my just with kids, like I don't have a time, a lot of time to watch it. And I cannot get my kids into wrestling. I have one kid that's like, he just wants to watch girls wrestling. Cause he like <laughs> he's he's three and he likes to see the top of their boobies. And that's what he said. That's so funny. Uh, I, 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 um, I had my kid, we, we wouldn't let him watch it. Oh man. I think we said until he was like 10 or something like that. We just decided like the age he could. And so he was so charged up. <laughs> so when he turned 10, so he could watch wrestling and he must've watched it for about two and a half months and he was done. At, at first he was interested because he thought it was legit. You know what I'm saying? And then he started to see the things that let him know it wasn't legit. And so now, like, he thinks it's cool. He just doesn't. He, it's it's a little clownish to him, you know? I think I messed up because I told my sons from the beginning, my even my two, because they start, you know, they immediately start pile driving. And I remember getting DDT'd right, as a kid and we right, did, they didn't tell yeah. us it was a work. Right. So I told them it's a work from the beginning. I was like, that's what you guys have to appreciate, the grace and the thing, because they're not getting. So when you're trying to body slam your brother, remember that it's a work. And you guys can't mm -hmm. hurt each other because if you hurt him, then you're not a good wrestler. That's real. And then I think once That's I told real. them that, they're like, ah, I'd rather watch Power Rangers because this shit is real. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'll tell you, I ask about two thirds of the questions I have written down here. But as we as we wrap up, just in terms of people following you and your career and your output, like what do you think is the next thing they should look out for from you? Man, I'm trying to make this year the best year of my career. So just, I'm doing a lot of things. I did all kind of self-help stuff. And one of them was like, who are you? Like, can you break it down into like three words? And like, I know that I'm passionate, pure, and prolific. And the past year and a half, I kind of did an experiment where I just wanted to focus on Love and Rockets too and see if I only promote, because I feel like sometimes I confuse my fans. And, you know, the, I didn't see a, a rise in reception or engagement. So I'm just going to, the next year or so, just do whatever I'm passionate about and what I'm feeling. I think that's when people fault me for not doing Living Legends or not doing another felt. Know that when I do do it, I do it because I'm passionate, not because you wanted me to, because when we were in Melancholy Gypsies, no one told us to get in Living Legends and you guys loved it. When I was in Living Legends, no one told me to sign a Def Jux and you loved it. You know, people are like, why are you going to New York so much? And then they're like, oh, this is great. Then when I was on Def Jux, I didn't use Aesop Rock to do a whole album. I didn't do a whole album with LP. I went and did an album with Ninth Wonder. Why are you going to do that? And then that worked. You know, and it's just like people question, like, I would trust that whatever I do is passion first. I like to like it to make sense and connect dots, but 
Like I said, no one, I could have a, a record, a punk rock record with a group out of Jacksonville. Like people were into it or they weren't. Like, I don't care. I felt like that's what I wanted to do. Um, and there's going to just be a lot more of that. I was kind of holding myself the back this past year and a half trying to see what that would be like. And so, yeah, I think just, you know, stay tuned in, stay tapped in. Maybe my shit's on Spotify. <laughs> Maybe it's not, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, but oh yes, yeah, and you asked about comic books. I, I want to mention this because these dudes were really kind to me. Um, there's a comic book on Image under uh, the the banner of Skybound, who do Walking Dead, Manifest Destiny, a bunch of great Invincible, yeah, Invincible, and they have a a book called uh, Excellence. And uh, I wrote. They're just putting out a hardcover of the first ten issues, and uh, I wrote the forward. They asked me to write the forward for. That's awesome. That's um, incredible. So please check that out. It's an amazing book. It was funny because I'll say it in the four, but it's it's like Harry Potter meets Spook was set behind a door. And it's like, uh, mm, it's, okay. uh, it's amazing. It's an amazing um, journey. It's still continuing. And yeah, so I go to a comic book store every month, but like having kids, I don't have time to read. So, but um, Milestone just reissued, um, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. All static, hardware, and icons. So I try to buy, I just go to the store and buy everything black Support, and everything. Yeah, and then on dope. top of that, everything I like. Um, everything skybound usually. A couple Marvel books, couple DC. You know, I come out with like things, and by like getting my kids to go into the comic book store and having them say, I want to, you know, they don't get toys, they only get books, and they come out with a book. And if they only read it on the way home, hopefully they're not catching on to wrestling, they'll catch on. But yeah, comic books, and I'm back to the young rappers, always, the first thing I always tell young rappers or any rapper, if you can't read, you can't write. If you don't read, you don't write. If you're not observing war, words and ways to put words together, not just, you know, from the audio, or even listening to books on audio tape, you know what I mean? You got to do that. But just being inspired and 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 consuming consuming art, like cinema, go yeah. to the museum. Yeah. Like when I was fifteen, I was going to LACMA and just looking at the walls because that inspired. Like someone create. We're all drawing from the same ether. It's a fucking cycle. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So someone drew that out of the same ether you're drawing your raps out of. So it's gonna inspire you. Take it in so you can put it out. You know what I mean? And it can't just be one. Rapping about rap is so whack, man. It's tired. And even if you're rapping about it's rap, tired. Freestyle Fellowship rapped about rap, but they were in taking some jazz. You know what I mean? Yeah, so they did it in new, exciting yes, ways. man. Like, yeah. that's, you know, I'll, I'll never be ungrateful. Um, you know, like, that was a, a big deal, Freestyle Fellowship. Like, that was huge for me, like, learning about jazz. And I can't, not that, I can't say that I became, made me a jazz aficionado, but let me know that you can draw for something outside of hip-hop it helps inspire us to keep fucking with the form yes you know what i'm saying which is really important like that it doesn't always have to be what it is now you can take steps to like break it and make it, make something, it else. something else and, and and that's why i like like learning staying stagnant and biting you know what i mean i thought i forgot you know i mean, you probably know like it's you imitate you something else and then you innovate those are the steps you know what I mean? But a lot of people get stuck on imitation because imitation gets you a lot of adoration and applause. And like you said, when you're doing those pay-to-play shows and your group sounds just like the most popular group in the city or at the time, and you know, it works. But then you gotta move on and like master your own right. style. And then you gotta innovate. And so you find your voice, and uh, I think that's forgotten. Right now, like I'm definitely next couple, you know, like I got a song about hockey that I'm dropping that I did with uh with our friend Sean. My two-year-old was watching hockey, he was like I said, what's your favorite sport? Oh, he wasn't watching hockey. I said, what's your favorite sport? He said, hockey. I said, where did you learn that word? Then I put on hockey. I was like, is this hockey? Yeah, this is hockey. I was like, all right. So then like, you know, I'm a dad. Like, I'm like, cool. I went on Amazon, ordered a little goal. And these mo- motherfuckers was out in the in the living room playing hockey. And I was like, man, is, is there a rap song about hockey? Fuck it. I'm going to make us like, I had these beats. And so I was like, Sean is somebody I know who wouldn't mind if I used his beat to do a court. Because then also like, I'm listening to like. Cuckoo Kangaroo and Yo Gabba Gabba. So I'm like, mm-hmm. I want to just do a mm-hmm. simple song about hockey. Stuff's powerful, man. Yo Gabba Gabba. My, my son was a, a Bismarck E fan from as, mo- as long as he could remember because of Yo Gabba Gabba. You know what I'm saying? Like those, the stuff on that, on those kinds of platforms, man, it, it, it may seem simple to people, but I think it's really powerful, you know? So yeah, I got, I got all kinds of stuff I've been sitting on. You know what I mean? I got a, a X rated drum and bass album that I'm gonna put out that I've been sitting on for five years. Oh, okay. So you you doing a children's hockey song? Yeah, right like I'm not caring anymore, bro. Like y'all gonna get y'all gonna get this work this year. It's just boo boo boo. And it's not gonna make sense. But I think I've done enough that you know who I am. And mm-hmm. I this year I wanna expound upon that and and ha- I've had a lot of adventures that I've withheld over the past yeah, maybe five years. So 
it's going to be some old stuff, some new stuff. I'm on Patreon if you want to check it out. A lot of it is leaked on there and, you know, patreon.com slash merch316. The, the deluxe album drops February 18th. I don't know when this is dropping. And um, I'm everywhere, man. And uh, maybe some, maybe a podcast coming soon. Maybe a podcast. Who knows? Maybe a podcast. But, uh, you know, just as, as, as somebody who is a creator in this field and... I've drawn a lot of inspiration from you and your music and your moves. Same. The the respect you've shown me. I just want to say thank you and I appreciate all of that. And just on behalf of of music listeners everywhere that that love hip hop. Thank you, man. And I guess to be a full circle when we're talking about like going to a city. I don't know why I was in Chicago or what I was doing. And someone was like, yo, there's like someone, I don't know if we we're on the South Side or whatever, there's a street block South the South Side is a block party. And you know, most people are like, oh, the South Side of Chicago. I'm not going. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, we were down by the lake. And I was like, yep, this is where we're going. And I'm just walking around. And then someone's like, oh, Open Mike Eagles performing. Was, that was so tight. For sure. And like, I didn't, I don't think I knew you were from Chicago. Cause I know you from front of the blow. Yeah. And I was like, what's this nigga doing out here? I was like, and I took my, I took my <laughs> wife up there. And we, it was amazing. And you know, then we got like, people are stepping in the street and there's a vegan Jamaican restaurant. Like, Hyde Park, Hyde Park is like the you know it's like the Lamert Park analog of Chicago. Ah. You know what I'm saying? So it's it's very similar vibes. Oh yeah, I bought a book. There's a book, a record store. The Baskin Robbins or Michelle and Barack had their first. Bro, I was like, but this is the stuff you do <laughs> when you don't just stay in the hotel. Mm. Like you know what I mean? I love that was a beautiful. But I would have never had that moment with you as a rapper. I think you can share. It sucks to see someone suck. It does, and I've seen a lot of people suck. Like, and I don't, and I don't even mean the output. I just mean as 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 humans. <laughs> you know, I've seen a lot of trash humans in this. That's why I wanted to make sure, you know, that I highlighted the fact that you like you. I've often seen you do things you don't have to do, in 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 the under the auspices of of human respect. So, you know, just want to shout that out forever. You know, thank you, man, and. Stony Island and all your movements, the podcast LP. I'm about to listen to this Dante Ross joint. Like, yeah, buddy. Stony Island audio.